Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Thank you, Robin, for blessing us this morning with your lovely voice and your worship team. I'm going to set this. Yes, give them a hand. Terry, Brad, Bill, Josh, Kathy, Ann, Tina, every person that's ever sung ever on the worship team. In the history of worship, thank you all. Thank you to my beautiful haircut provided by my buddy Jeff. I mean, thank you to Mark doing sound and Angel and Dave doing, is that everybody? Donuts, thank you. Donut team, Kelly, Steve. I'm in a really grateful mood this morning because I get to talk to you about a message that has the word great in it. So not only can I say this comfortably, but I think it's the greatest message because it's Jesus himself saying great. This message is so good. It's traditional for me on a Sunday when I get a chance to preach. It's been a very entertaining week. And so that's why I think it's best that I first tell you that Sherry is doing a volunteer meeting. And if you guys would like to be involved in any type of volunteering at the church, which we would love to have you consider, there's some information in your bulletin, and there is going to be a sign-up in the back of the church. So I always want to start with church business first, and Sherry would love to speak with you about helping either in children's ministry or in many different aspects of the church. Please check your bulletins for that this morning. We had a men's breakfast this week. That was awesome. Didn't get a chance to see all of the guys that we traditionally see, but for the guys who did show, we had a fabulous conversation about reading God's word. Definitely a source of encouragement. I understand the ladies are getting ready to meet uh, as well, or maybe they've recently met as well. So just lots of different things happening here in the church, and I hope that you are involved in some capacity, either with children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry, or some type of ministry, because one thing's for sure about the message today, it's uh, going to implore you to be involved in some type of mission. Like I said, I'm getting a chance to preach. This was actually supposed to be um, one of the other missionaries' opportunity to speak. Um, if you guys know Marty, Marty Hooper, he's going to be talking to us about international ministry evangelism and what he does. Unfortunately, he has a situation with his family, and so he's gone to be with his sister-in-law, and uh, that took him away from his visa to come here and kind of be able to speak. Maybe in January, we'll get him back out to speak, but uh, we're still scheduled next week for Don and Jill, which as you guys know, Don and Jill are in Costa Rica. And I hope that you really have been enjoying this month of August and the kind of missions month, because I'm one of those people who believes that if you support something, right, missions are important to us and we financially and spiritually, physically support them, then we should talk about it. And not only should we talk about it, we should be blessed and walking with them as they get to celebrate the highs and lows of doing missions every single day. And like I said, I'm excited about doing a message on missions because I actually believe that this message that I get to share today is actually relative to every single message that's being preached in the church today. Every single message historically can find itself in what I'm going to share with you today. It is, of course, the Great Commission. And it's not a good commission. It's not a nice commission. It is a great commission. And it's given to us by Jesus himself. So as I get ready to share it with you this morning, I just want to ask yourself, prior to entering this building this morning, prior to me getting ready to teach or share anything with it, as of right now, when you woke up this morning, how important was the Great Commission? How much of a factor was it in even getting up and fighting your way to church? Because the reality is, for some of us, just coming to church on Sunday, it's a huge battle. Maybe we have physical stuff going on, spiritual stuff going on, but just getting up and trying to get to church, because I can assure you one thing, it was worth it, it was the right thing to do, and at the end of this message, I hope you're going to get a chance to re-ask yourself in consideration of what we shared this morning 
How important is the Great Commission? Why? The problem is because I'm asking you about something that I'm assuming that everyone understands. I'm assuming that everyone knows what the Great Commission is and what it's asked us to do. But the reality is a lot of people still don't know what to do or how to do it. A lot of people, when you talk about missions, think, well, it's something you do once a year. You sign up for it on a little thing that goes out in the church. You get a passport. You get some shots. You put your stuff in a bag. And then you go to some country. And for a week, you don't eat. You are convinced there's no hospitals. That people are either trying to kill you or the food's trying to kill you or mosquitoes are going to try to kill you. And then you do really nice things for a week, and at the end of the week, you come home exhausted and tired, and then you check the box, and missions is officially done for the year. And you're like, whew, missions. That was a real financial and physical struggle. But the truth about missions is it's never been that complex. If you guys want to go somewhere where people don't like you, people don't understand you, and people are not interested in hearing you, just start talking to your neighbors, right? Let's be honest here. You, you don't have to go somewhere to experience missions. Missions has always been right in front of you. It's always been right around you. And the reality is that's probably why when we get home from work, we don't roll the windows down coming into our neighborhood, right? We try to go five miles an hour over the posted speed limit coming into our neighborhood because our goal is to get in with a couple waves or a head nod to get to the garage, right? Safety lies behind button number two. Door goes up. You're like, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Nobody's looking. Boom. I'm in the garage. Ah, missions is over. And now I'm back in my house where I can watch my TV, eat my food, answer the phone if I want to or not. Thank you guys for not answering the phone when I call. And just, it's safe again, right? Well, this message is not going to be that encouraging for you guys because mission starts, here you get a drum roll, mission starts when you wake up in the morning. From the first, yeah, yes, Brandon, from the very first breath you take this morning, it was on. It was on like Donkey Kong. It, it is on. It is game on. And whether or not your mind's right or right is not the issue. It was on, and the spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual warfare. The warfare for your mind was on. Are you going to be ready? Are you not going to be ready? And you know what happened at 6 o'clock this morning or 7 o'clock or some of you are 4.30 or some of you 9.30, I think, by the time you get here at 10.30. But Whatever time it was, it woke up, and then the spiritual battle for who's going to speak truth into your head began. Voices, 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 TV, 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 media, media, media. Oh, you won't answer my call, but you'll take four texts from OfferUp or a notification from Facebook, you know. And, and the battle began to kind of who's going to input into your head. And I, I think this morning, the reason why we don't know what to do or how to do it is we have we succumbed to the noise. We have succumbed to all the inputs that are screaming and hollering, over here, look this way. And I was sharing that with my wife, which I'm definitely one of those ministry people that loves to share things with my wife. And she's like, oh, you, you, that reminds me, you know that passage in the Bible, like there was an earthquake and it wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a flood, a flood or a fire or something and he wasn't in that. That sounds like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need that. So let me read to you what she shared with me because... The Lord is not in the noise. He's never been in the noise. And if we're going to hear anything this morning, we're going to hear from him, but it's not from the noise. Go forth. This is God talking to Elijah. Go forth and stand on a mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was tearing down the mountain and breaking it into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, it was an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle blowing wind. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? Church, I don't know what you're doing here this morning, but this morning I want to share with you the truth as simply and as clear as I can that the Great Commission is the single greatest source that we need to be predicating our lives on this morning. And if you haven't heard the truth, then take a moment with me as we pause and I pray that you would hear how simple and how clear and concise the Word of God is when it speaks. This is not just a suggestion. This is not just an option. And this is not a box that we check once a year. This is something that we have to do every single day, every single morning when we wake up. We have to be prepared to answer this call. Father God, as I take a moment this morning to pause, it's very awkward uh, in our lives to listen to silence. A matter of fact, I think even a simple pause in a prayer can cause anxiety for people. We don't want to let our mind run into the deep, dark chasms that fills it with all these different voices that are saying, this is what's important, and this is what's important, and focus your attention here and do this. But instead, this morning, Father, I pray that you would just clear the, clear the slate of our hearts and our mind so that we not only can hear this great commission, not only can we hear and understand it, Father, but starting this afternoon, as we leave this building, Father, that we really can purpose in our life what the main thing is. There's only been one main thing in a Christian's life. There's only one great commission. And it's super important that we not only understand it, Father, but we embrace it and live it because it is the thing that brings everything into order. Father, I pray right now, if there's people in this building, people listening online, if they're listening and they're hearing something and their life is filled with disorder, then this morning, Father, would you quell their hearts, quell their minds, and share with them and show them something that will not only bring it into order, but will also restore value and significance to it. Thank you for the opportunity to study the Word of God. May everything that we continue to do and stay in this building bring honor and glory to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus started teaching around 30 years old. That's Jewish tradition. He died somewhere around 33, 33 and a half, 33 to third, depending on what record you played back in the day. But three and a half to three and a third years of teaching. He showed these guys everything. He taught these guys everything. John says if he recorded all the miracles that he did, it would have been volumes in and of itself. But Jesus gives one final commission, one final teaching to his group of 12. As if to say, I know I've taught you a lot. I know I've showed you a lot. But I'm going to share with you the summarization of everything that I've taught you so that you will actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the main thing is. Now, I'm someone who says that and has been using that for years, but it's not mine. Someone else definitely smarter than me. I think it was officially Einstein who said it. But church, there is only one main thing for us to consider. There's only one thing that we have a limited time offer to do. And that is fulfill the Great Commission. The problem is when it comes to doing what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, or even why it was given to us, they're all questions that seem to be unanswered. So I want to start by reading the Great Commission to you and then literally tearing it apart into small little bite-sized segments so that you can go back over this at any given time. And hopefully from this point in time on, when you hear any of the key words or the key thoughts, you'll be able to be instantly reminded what it's all about. So let me read for you the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, 
18 through 20, if you're reading with us. What's up, Jackson? That's my buddy. Ah, here we go. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, yes, even to the end of the age. So as we deep dive into this passage this morning, there's something that's super important before I get to the key words. And the first thing that you need to see and realize is that somebody authorizes them And then the person who authorizes them also is the one that commissions them. So how much authority does he have and how much authority does he give us? And the answer is all authority. Jesus is the one sending us. So let's get rid of that first myth. The church sends us. Um, Wycliffe sends us. Yugo sends us. These are missionary organizations. Nobody sends us except for the person who saved us. He saved us, and the summarization is, I'm not only sending you, but I'm sending you with all authority. So there's different kinds of authority. We learn this right now. There's authority on heaven, and there's authority on earth. And he wants you to understand something. Not only am I the way, the truth, and the life, but I am all authority. And I'm going to send you with the fullness of that authority. So that's really important because part of the problem is when it comes to missions, when it comes to waking up, when it comes to talking to our neighbors about faith, when it comes to any aspect of traditional evangelism, the first thing that kind of overwhelms us is, I'm not worthy, right? Do any of you feel worthy? I mean, you know how I feel about preaching. You know how I feel about teaching. You know how I feel about communion. When did feeling worthy have anything to do with what God has called us to do? It's perfectly normal to not feel worthy. But what's not normal is for you to think that somehow that substantiates your answer because it's the unworthiness that you feel, which is humility, which is a really pretty good thing to have, that he's actually saying, hey, look, I'm going to take your humility and I'm going to give you my supernatural strength. All I'm asking you to do is go. All I'm asking you to do is go and I will speak. So like I said, that means when you woke up this morning and you thought, Should I go to church? Should I go for a walk on the beach? Should I go to church or should I play golf? Well, I'm playing golf after church. So if you want to play golf, play golf after church with me. You don't have to miss church to play golf. Your priorities need to be, should I go to church or anything else? The answer is always, I should go to church. Whenever the doors of the church are open, my suggestion to you is go to church. Because all authority that was given to you on heaven and earth is predicated on the fact that you have a living, breathing relationship with the King of Kings. And if that is the most important thing in your life, then doing whatever he says and he commands would naturally flow from that. Anytime you usurp, you undermine the authority of the person who's commissioning you, you're recommissioning yourself and saying, well, I'm going to go do what what I feel I need to do, and I hope that's all right. God will let you go do whatever you want to do. How many of you have ever done something knowing that God's not blessing it? He'll, He'll let you do that. That's free will. But what happens when you're done doing that? Or what happens while you're doing that? Does it satisfy? Does it, you know, does it take care of the spiritual need that he's calling you to? And at the end of that, are you burned out and feel worse about doing that? Because anytime you run into a struggle about why things are happening, it's because you went on your authority. If you go under God's authority, if your job is to just simply make 
Like Pastor Kuko said last week, okay, you want to do a festival to 10,000 people? I got no money. I got no workers. I mean, here am I, Lord, send me, but send the workers, send the resources. On whose authority is Kuko trying to do that event? He's already submitted. I can't do the event. I have no ability to do the event. But if God's calling you to do the event, that's all that matters. And from that point, when you submit that and you submit to that full authority of God, everything can change. So when you woke up this morning and you put your clothes on and you struggled out of bed, someone, we had people this morning that were driven by their kids, driven by Ubers. When you fight to get to church already, I want you to realize something. That means that you're still submitting to that authority of God that says, whenever I'm doing something, whenever I'm saying something, move. Be there. And church, if you're out there listening today, let me just take one second to talk to you, the community that lives online. You have nothing to fear. The Bible says you have nothing to fear. Proverbs 1-7 tells you this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to fear something this morning, fear something that's worth fearing. Who is it can take your soul? Who is it that can actually do something to you spiritually? It's only the Lord. Man can do nothing to you. Disease can do nothing to you. Infirmity can do nothing to you. You have nothing to fear but the Lord. And it's not fear like, oh, Lord, don't send me to hell. It's reverential awe. It's like, Lord, I know you love me. I know you understand what I'm going through. Use me. It changes everything. It changes our perspective. Because when we keep the main thing the main thing, you can do something like being a chaplain at the local PD. Church, when I got here five years ago and asked you guys to let me do that, I mean, I don't think you guys realized the time and the commitment and the financial resources that was going to be committed by you to send me there. Right? I'm, I'm a volunteer. They don't pay me anything. Yet the reality of the police department is they don't want just someone sitting in a car with their officers every week. They don't want just someone having influence with their officers every week. They want someone who's fully trained. Matter of fact, they wanted someone who was actually post-certified, professional operations and standards training. Uh, well, I wasn't none of those things. Now, I'd just been doing it with my friend for years in Apple Valley. I'd been running around with the sheriff's department for a year because my friend had a group of sheriff guys that were all really struggling, and he thought, maybe you could be an encouragement to them. Originally, I wasn't a chaplain. I was what they call a CI, a confidential informant, and I basically just hung out with a bunch of sheriff guys that were doing really crazy things, and they were overwhelmed by it, and I was just a source of happiness and encouragement to them with no religious effect. But what I do for this police department right now every week is absolutely quantified. It required an entire week of training down in San Diego, which was almost $1,000 worth of training because they need someone who specializes in critical incident and stress management. They need someone who's available for counseling from all different kinds of religion, from zero religion to no religion to every religion in between. And it's predicated on the fact that I cannot speak the name of Jesus until they speak the name of Jesus. So it's a ministry of presence. Matter of fact, the key word for a chaplain is the term force multiplier. I am a force multiplier. My job is to build encouragement, strengthen the resolve of people that are on the front line every day, whose every day of work is somebody's worst day of their life. And sometimes, church, we make calls on one time last week, between 6 a.m. in the morning and 11.30, we made 11 calls before 12 o'clock, before lunch. 11 people having the worst days of their life. And that's what that officer has to do. And I've been privileged by you guys to ride with them and spend time with them. And the result of it is every single class that I did not want to take in school on counseling and all these other care things because I was focused on evangelism. My degree is in 
I have a master's in Christian ed. My degree is exclusively towards evangelizing, teaching youth, t- teaching young people, and teaching people the value of God's word. Everything that I avoided, I've been trained now by the police department. And I'm a better pastor because of it. And I can tell you in the last six months, between COVID and the situation in the church, I have done more mental health counseling in six months than I have done in 30 years of ministry. And that's because you guys help me keep the main thing the main thing. I'm available to go. I'm available to make a consideration that all authority has been given to me. And now with my dialysis starting in February, guess what, church? It's a whole new opportunity to minister to people that are broken and in need and desperate for, for hope. And so if you think that me being sick, if you think that, oh, Pastor Jeff has stage five kidney disease and he needs it, if you think in some ways that's made me weaker or feel less, I am am privileged to be sick. I am privileged to struggle because it keeps the Great Commission in my face every single day. There's always somebody worse at the dialysis center. Every single time I'm in there, there's somebody worse than me that reminds me why I'm there, including some of my friends who can't even get the shots. I mean, the needles are pretty intense. And there's some people there whose veins are not very strong. And so just the simple act of just getting their shots to start the process is excruciating. And now I'm being asked to come and pray with these people. I'm holding hands with people I don't even know and simply praying that God would allow them peace to have these needles inserted in their arms so they could begin the process, which is still an excruciating process in and of itself. And I thank you guys for helping me keep the main thing the main thing because the point of the Great Commission is simply this. I have full authority regardless of the outcome. I want to say that again. I have full authority to go and speak regardless of the outcome. It's not your job to save anyone. You couldn't save anyone if you wanted to. But what you can do is share. What you can do is be available. And what you can do is speak the name of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to show up. And so that's what I do. I show up. I'm not making just a consideration. I'm not trying to think that they understand or they don't understand. I'm assuming that everybody out there doesn't have a clear picture of what it is. So I'm going to show them what it means to go. Barna, actually, you guys know Barna is. Barna is kind of the Christian guru guy who does all the stats on Christianity throughout the world. I just looked this, this, uh, this response up. 50% of Americans today still don't understand the simplistic call of the Great Commission. 50%. That means every other person in this audience. He goes on to say, as a matter of fact, the situation for 2000, for the year 2020 is actually 71% people. Not only do they not understand, but traditionally they don't even understand the Great Commission. Not only do they not know, but they don't understand. It's just another passage in the Bible that they read and they're confounded by or just something they read and they have a discussion by, but it's not having any effect on their life. Let's clarify, church. Let's clarify. There's only four words. Go, make, baptize, and teach. It's not going to get any simpler than this. You're not going to have to rewrite any books. Go, make, baptize, and teach. Notice the order. God of order. Everything's going to make perfect perfect sense in about 31 minutes, 28 minutes. Go. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, so go. The word go in Greek is the word traverse. It's a mountaineering term. It talks about how you get up a mountain. You traverse. You can't just go straight up a mountain. You can try. You're not going to make it up the mountain. To make it up a mountain, you work left to right. Small incremental segments. Okay? Nothing in the word go says stop, hold, or look back. Stop, hold, or look back are nowhere to be associated with go. 
You can't stop, hold, or look back if you're going to try to get up a mountain. Usually people that are trying to get up serious mountains, not only do they try to get up them, but they have to get up them in certain timelines, right? They know when the window of weather is going to be clear or whatever it is, so they have to work a certain... Same thing with us. We're, we're not designed to hold. Remember in plowing, we talked about this when I talked to you guys about plowing. If you look back when you're plowing, you're the, your plow is going to move off the line, and it's going to affect how your rows will be. And if your rows aren't equally spaced apart, then the crop can grow into each other. That can affect the outcome of your crop. So we're not designed to look back, physically, spiritually, or any aspect of it. It's always go. Okay, Pastor Jeff, what about if I proceed with caution? Hey, I like it. Guess what proceed with caution means? You're still going. You're still moving. So I'm going to give you a break this morning and say, it's okay to proceed with caution. I mean, it'd be better if you ran into faith and trusted God with it. But proceeding with caution still implies go. And as long as you're moving forward, then go is making sense to you. If it's not anything other than go, it's not correct. It's not a true understanding of what it is. As you are going through life, as you are driving into your neighborhood, as you are doing these different things, your oikos, the people that God has supernaturally placed around you, as you are doing these things, God is allowing you to move through their lives and he's going to give you a purpose. Today is the day of reckoning. Today is the day to make something happen. And today you must choose this day who you will serve. Right? It's cool that we know Bible verses, but sometimes it's like we know them, but what difference are they making in our life? It's really cool when you start thinking, because today I chose this day who I'm going to serve. When I woke up this morning at nine and I thought, I'm tired and I don't feel well and it's just, it's humid and the air conditioner and no, you said, you know what, I'm going to choose this day to serve the Lord because that is my Lord and Savior and that is who I want to be honorable to. I'm going to choose to go. And I want to encourage you for that. That's exactly what it's all about. Because what you do next when you go is you have to remove the fact that your job is to be academic or supernaturally informed. Now, for those of you who had Pastor Bill teaching you Revelation, one of the things that I learned during that is I have a degree in CE. So my passion is evangelism. So like a true fisherman, I'm very 90 degrees in black and white, like what's important to me? When you have a theology degree, a lot of different things are important to you. Like giant Greek Hebrew books and giant Greek, Greek books and all these different things because, because God has wired us all different to share different things with you. And so if you're thinking, well, okay, here we go, missions. I, I don't know theology. I barely learned two things during the Revelation. Say, Let me just quell for you the first thing that you have to understand about what you have to share. All you're responsible for is your testimony. Your testimony, Right? My testimony is not Robin's testimony. My testimony is not Brandon's testimony, but no one can refute my testimony. You can't refute it because I can tell you I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, Berean, so Santa Ana, just off the five freeway, where it was so fire hell brimstone that all there was was a piano and one pastor in a suit yelling. And I was like you, Salvador, in the front row. And I was convinced that my parents put me up there because he knew what I had done that week. And he was yelling and the whole message was just for me. And everyone else was just confirming that this little kid in front was a super sinner and he needed to be saved. I got saved so many times when I was a kid, I, I was convinced. I'm like, what is it with the salvation? Does it, when does it actually work? Like, I just ran it up the flagpole again this week, so I got to get saved again this week. And it was a continuum. Oh, sixth grade, seventh grade, so confusing. And my parents finally sent me to Hume Lake. You talk about investment. Parents sending your kids to camp is one of the greatest investments you will ever have the opportunity. If it comes our way and we can figure it out next year to send your kids to camp, Make the investment. Send your kids to camp. Because being a Christian for an hour on Sundays, that's tough for some people. But being a Christian for a week at camp, 
is excruciating. But I didn't know how to do it for an hour. I'm just being honest with you. So what was I going to do for a week? And I sat there, and every night at the campfire, these kids are giving their testimonies. I'm like, dang, that kid's been a Christian all week long. Listen to that fabulous testimony. And that just didn't resonate with me. And, you know, back then we got a piece of wood, and then you gave a testimony, and then the kids would clap. And I was sitting there front like, I'm never going up there. Like, that's not my testimony. I've already been saved like 62 times right now, and I'm still not a Christian. And then the Lord tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, you know what, Jeff? I didn't say I was going to make you perfect. I said, I'm perfect. I just wanted to make it so you would show up knowing that I got you. That on whose authority you're going is on mine. And just as you are broken and confused and battered and beaten in your mind, it's sufficient. That's all I want. I want humble people who will serve me. So I, I waddled up there, like every kid does, you know. Throw the stick in, say the thing. I can tell you guys, that was 1978, June of 78. I, I've never woken up since then, ever. And I don't sleep well now, so I spend a lot of time reflecting and saying, I don't ever wake up and think, today I may, I may not go. Today I might pause and just kind of wait. I wake every morning up and I think, I owe him everything. Anything that's good in my life, my marriage, my family, my kids, my job. Everything I owe him from 1978 on, I, I have to say thank you today. Like, I have to do this. I don't, it's not optional. Like, I have to live missionally today. And when I go somewhere, I'm going there under the full authority that, you know what, if people believe, if they don't believe, that's fine. But 2 Corinthians 6 says, God's co-workers, as God's co-workers, we urge you to receive God's grace, not in vain. I can't receive that in vain. What I received in salvation, I can't receive in vain. He calls me a co-worker, and I work with a lot of fabulous people. To be somebody's co-worker is an honor and a privilege. But at no time, even with my co-workers now, do I think, oh, I'm superior, or I figured it out, or I'm, I'm over them, or in charge. We're co-laborers. We're all co-laborers. This entire congregation, we are all co-laborers in the same great commission. It is not my responsibility. It's interesting, since 1990, 90% of Christians in 1990 thought it was their responsibility to share faith. Barna's recent study says 2020, only 70% of people believe it's their responsibility. The number shrinking of Christians who think it's their responsibility to share. You know who they think is responsible to share faith and lead people to the Lord? The church. What is the church? We've already established the church is in the building, that you're the church. So who are they delineating to? The pastor? Like, it's my responsibility to save people? I'm only one person. Costa Mesa has 120,000 people. I mean, we're in big trouble. 50 churches, 50 pastors are going to save 100,000 people? We have fallen prey to the simplicity that the world has overspoke what Jesus said. It's simple. You go, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, and when you go, simply speak this. Speak what you know to be true. If you're willing to let others live lies, another fact that he found out is 67% of millennials not only think it's inappropriate to share, but it's inappropriate to share under the premise that you're trying to convert. 70% of our, the next generation coming up, so 18 to 28, 18 to 35, of the next generation coming up, they think not only is it inappropriate to share, they've already been trained in schools, don't share, keep your opinions to yourself, but to share under the pretense to convert is unethical. Church, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? If we can't understand that the Great Commission is about increasing the kingdom of heaven and decreasing those who will go to hell, then we've missed the whole point of everything we've said, done, and do. Our job is a limited time offer to offer the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. 
And what we've come into is we've come into a season of Christian ministry where what we're more about is about Christian maintenance. We're more about talking to Christians about what other Christians think about what other Christians are doing. No wonder why we're so confused. No wonder why the church is so powerless. We're not going anywhere. We're spinning around in circles like some kind of big hoedown dance where we're all dancing with one another, asking why there's no non-Christians at the party and why the baptismal door is almost sealed because it hasn't baptized anybody in two years because it's, it's a non sequitur anymore. The most important thing that we could do is check the box. I went to church on Sunday. Church, that's the least important thing that you could do. If, if that's what you think our goal is, just simply to show up here, our goal is to make a difference in our neighborhood. Our goal is to make a difference in our oikos. There are people supernaturally placed in your life that are waiting for you to minister to them, not me. I will never minister to them unless you get them here. And if you get them here, I'm going to join with you in ministering to them. You share, you make disciples, because that's what it says. God loves the whole world, right? Why do we know John 3, 16 if it doesn't make a difference? God loves the whole world, right? He wants us to minister to the whole world. He's planning on the whole world being part of this new heaven and new earth that he's going to create. Well, who's going to minister to the whole world? Just pastors? Just missionaries? No, it's the church that's supposed to be ministering. See, we've confused the church, the building, the denomination as the people that are going to minister, but it's you who's supposed to be ministering. It's your job, at your grocery store, at your restaurant where your waiter or waitress knows your name. In your neighborhood, your goal is not to drive through safely at five miles an hour. Your goal is to stop the car and roll the window down and engage your neighbor at the trash can and say, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? How have you been? It's not fancy. It's not difficult. It's just, it requires something. It requires that you ask yourself, what's the main reason you woke up this morning? Why did you put your clothes on? Why did you brush your teeth? And what are you hoping to accomplish by going out into the world? If it's simply to pay your bills and do your job, you have truly missed out on everything that's important about being a Christian. Can you believe that 42% of the world, as of today, right now, over 40% of the world has still never heard the name of Jesus? Oh, Jesus is coming back soon, Pastor Jeff. I've been reading and watching TV and it's... No man knows the day and time. Why are we talking about this? It's a a frivolous conversation for you to tell me you know something about when the Lord... You don't know. I don't know. What I know is we have today and that 40% of the world doesn't know. How can Jesus come back right now? Because he says he's not coming back until everyone has heard. Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims make up a percentage of 40% called the world-famous 1040 Triangle. It is an area located between North Africa, Middle East, and Asia. And it is said that that particular group is unreachable. So you want, you're convinced the Lord has come back? Man, you're wasting time. Because until that triangle hears the name of Jesus, until someone gets there and shares the name of Jesus with them, he can't come back. You want him to come back? Get to work. The faster you share, the faster everyone hears, the faster everyone knows, oh, it's the internet's going to help us with it. I don't, I'm not counting on the internet to help me with anything. Has the internet actually helped you with anything? Be honest. I mean, who by having an extension of your phone? I have six emails on my phone and my phone has, you know, 500, my phone number's been out there for 30 years. I mean, is it really making my life any better? My phone has just made me more tied to work. The only way it's going to get done is if I wake up every morning, pull my pants on, look in the mirror and say, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad at it. I'm going to choose this day who I will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the moment I walk down those stairs and close that door, I'm ready to do missions with my neighbor, with the postman, 
with the drive through lady at Jack in the Box where I get the same iced tea and the same breakfast sandwich every morning. Everything that I do from that point on is missions. And I got to think about this, you know. Blessed are the feet of the person who brings the word of God. I mean, Romans makes this passage really clear. How then can they call upon the Lord whom they don't believe? And how can they believe in someone whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How is this going to happen? I mean, is it miraculous? It just the Lord's going to appear. I mean, I know apologetics. I understand that looking up into the heavens and the cosmos says there's probably something more than you can understand. But I mean, then why did he choose us as co-laborers? Like, if he could just do it himself, he would have probably been far more proficient. I get that he's doing it himself in that sense, but he's invited us in to share. I mean, it's got to be us. It's not going to be someone else. It's you. It's me. At the heart clinic. At the dialysis clinic. Fishing in your boat. Selling insurance. Whatever you do and however you do it, it's you. It's me. And you've got to share your testimony. And you've got to show your testimony because they're watching not just watching me, they're watching you. It's urgent. Remember that song, My Foreigner Fans from 1970? It's urgent, man. So, I mean, we need to go back to the old music when it actually meant something and had some value we could repeat a lyric. And God bless you children, that's listen to horrible music today. It's urgent. Urgency. Is anybody? I mean, it's a limited time offer to, to offer faith to people. It's not optional. It's not the great suggestion hey, if you got time, and you can fit this into your schedule, please fake time for God, the Savior of the... It is the great commission. Now, here's another thing for you guys. Uh, police department's called the paramilitary organization. You guys know what that means? Let me, ex- let me explain to you how it works. Captain, lieutenant, sergeant, officer, peon, volunteer. Anyone who's over anyone issues a directive, a.k.a. an order, a commission, to you. Your job is to understand, A, B, implement. There is no other suggestion in a paramilitary organization. I need you to go do this, and I need you to go do it now. Understood. I need to do this, and I do it now. If the end of the day comes, and I've not only not done it then and not done it now, there's an instant repercussion to that, right? They don't work on, oh, I'm sorry that that happened and whatever, you know, whatever. No, if your superior tells you what to do and you don't do it, there's instant repercussions. Say that inadvertently happens again a week later. Now there's documentation written up, written up, second time, was warned the first time, but second time, try it again a third time, try it again a fourth time, and see how much longer you call yourself an officer of the law. Depending on the severity of certain things could actually, for some instances, could be instantaneous. Imagine we're in a military situation. Imagine we're in a war. Pastor Jeff, it's, we're not in war. Oh, we're not? Spiritually speaking, we're not at war? Were you waking up this morning and battling the mental demons and stuff that's going through your head right now? We're not at war? Uh, yeah, we're at war. In case you missed the boat, we're, we're 100% at war. Waking up this morning and trying to be a follower of Christ is war. I need you to go. I need you to make. I need you to baptize. And I need you to teach. Who's telling us that? Someone, the pastor? You know, No, that's our Lord and Savior. That's our commander. 
giving us a primary objective for the day. So anything else that we come up with that we went and did, even if we did it well, is not following orders. And it will meet with repercussions. Oh, but I thought the Lord was loving and kind and gracious. and all. Oh, yeah, he is, but he's 100% holy. Right? If you being cruddy fathers know how to give good gifts, then how much better does your heavenly father know how to give gifts? Hey, church, he, he'll let you off. If you want to do, that's fine. But if you're wondering why your life isn't making sense, if you're wondering why your life is not feeling blessed, if you're wondering why your life is not feeling purposeful, because you've lost focus of the Great Commission. The Great Commission should drive everything you do. If the Great Commission is driving everything that you do, everything else will fall in order. Because then whenever you have to do something in order to fulfill the Great Commission, it's blessed. It's under the authority of God. Making disciples means that when you consider the people in your life, the oikos, right? Your neighbors, your family, your friends. I roll down the window with my neighbor. I have some great neighbors. I have some interesting neighbors. And I have some neighbors that you guys should all stay away from. One of my neighbors was actually arrested and is known in the police department for being a very unique individual. And I have spent 90% of my time in my missions in my neighborhood with that individual. You know why? Because who did Jesus come for? The good neighbor across the street who has a condo in Hawaii, seven cars and flies an airplane, and he's fabulous to talk about because he's doing stuff that I'll never get to do, and he's, he's full of amazing things. And Oh, this week he's driving that car? Oh, but this week he picked up his other car from his other house. Super easy to talk to. My neighbor that's interesting, he's not even driving anymore. He's been so physically ill that at least twice, you can ask my wife, twice in the last two years, he's been nearly dire straits. He fell down the stairs a couple, seven months ago, nine months ago, hit his head. And since nobody knows what he's doing, as I was driving out, I thought I saw him fall. I stopped the car. I ran around, walked around the curb to see where he was. And his, I don't want to get too graphic, but it was flowing down the sidewalk. If I would have just drove my car out and just said, oh, well, that's God taking care of whatever, he would have passed right there on the stairs that night. But we stood with him and waited for the ambulance to come. And we stood with him for three or four months as he healed from that. And he's continued to struggle with life. He has a problem with medication and certain things. And I still walk by his house every day and I think, is my work done yet with him? Because he doesn't come out of his house anymore. He's completely house-locked. Church, we're here for the degenerate. We are the degenerate. In case you, someone, a banner hasn't flown by you in a while, we are the sick. We are the ones that he came for. And if we think the only ones that are worthy are other ones who think like us, if, if like-mindedness means the only people we talk to are people that talk like us and eat like us, then we're missing out on the point of who we're supposed to commission to. No wonder why it's everyone else's job. No wonder why it's the church's job. No wonder why it's the pastor's job. Jesus said, I'm, gonna, I'm promising, I'm going to speak through you. I'm giving you all authority to speak. Why are you so afraid? Because the, really, the most important thing I can be is a good neighbor. And a good neighbor is a quiet neighbor. Really. A good neighbor that's quiet is allowing people in that neighborhood to not know what you know about Christ, and you indirectly are usurping the authority that God has given you to go and commission that neighborhood to make believers, and then not only make believers, but then baptize them so that you can teach them and make them disciples who then go and carry the Great Commission. You're undermining everything about our faith that has been commissioned to us. If Jesus rose again so that the nations could be healed, could be saved, then he rose again for that degenerate neighbor of yours that's driving you crazy. 
And if your only focus in your neighborhood is the easy one to talk to, then I'd ask you this morning to make consideration for the one in your neighborhood that you have avoided at all costs because that's the one that he came to save. When he talks about baptizing the believer next, you guys, I'm a big fan of Genesis. You guys ever heard of Genesis? Not the band, by the way, since I'm in a musical genre day. Genesis, like the beginning of the Bible, right? You know what I love about Genesis? Like we weren't there and we don't know. From someone who has a degree in education about understanding apologetics, like, I love the fact that someone who was there has given us the actual documentation of what happened, and yet we still have 200 different theories about what happened. Big bang, uh, God said it, and bang, it happened. It's like, what? his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Who are we to try to undermine what he has said? He said what he said. It is what it is, and you should make peace with that. So when he talks about order, when he says go, make baptize and teach it's interesting to me how people will go make and try to teach without baptizing i don't know if all of you have been baptized but let me just tell you this i taught a baptism class for 10 years and one of the first things i did in the baptism class get ready drum roll really super incredibly theologically sound was ask people to give their testimony wow that's so amazing pastor jeff all your schooling and education just do that. And you know what happened when I asked people to give their testimony? About 50% of people in that baptism class could not give their testimony. So you know what happened in about 90% of the baptism classes I ever taught? At least one person per baptism class came to salvation. Because people were getting baptized because of the newfound Christianity that they had, where they were basically Christians without Christ. They were forgiven without repentance. There was no hell. There was just ethereal thoughts of good things. And what we offered them was this watered-down faith so that when they got to the baptism class and they said, Robert, I'm so glad you're here today and everyone here is just like an AA class. Would you just tell us your story? Tell us the two-minute version of your testimony so we can all be blessed and encouraged to do this baptism together. Tell us what Jesus did for you that makes you want to take this next step of baptism. And then just like that, silence. As though they'd never said it before. They'd they'd never given their testimony publicly, so why would they be able to give their testimony now? The baptism is so important because the baptism allows you to realize something. It's you publicly confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? It's you symbolically. I just did a wedding with Mark and Michelle. We talked about this. How important is a wedding band? Oh, not that important to you, but how important is it to my wife? Right? Super important. Why? Because what it tells everybody else is I'm spoken for. Right? Am I still married if I go around? Because right now I have swelling. My fistula is acting up, and so my hand goes numb. So am I married when I don't have a ring on? 100%. But what it shows is it's symbolic that I'm in a committed relationship. Baptism is the opportunity to show the world that you're in a relationship. It allows you to speak on behalf of the one you love and have professed your faith and hope in. If we allow baptism to just be, oh, do it if it's convenient, do it if it's not convenient, it's okay. Let me just start teaching you about who God is. We usurp the authority that God has once again given us and the establishment of how things work, right? In the temple, it was this, 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 and this. And people are like, oh, that's too much law, you know, the temple. The whole point of it is that we have a God of order. And what baptism allows you to do is say, I was at camp in 1979 at Hume Lake, 
and I grew up in this church where I was constantly being saved, and I just never could get a grip on what salvation was. Like, I heard about it every week, and I knew it was a great offer from God, and I wanted to accept it, but based on what the pastor was saying every week, I just didn't believe it. So I just kept making professions of faith, and I kept going up, and I said every prayer, I've done the Romans road, the Paul's road. I mean, I've, if there's a road to Jesus, I've taken all of them, and I still couldn't figure it out. Then one day I was at camp, and I heard these kids actually give their testimony. It was so much different than everything I had heard before, and I was like, oh, you know, you're not perfect? Oh, you don't stop sinning? Oh, you're still sinning, but God somehow is working with you? I could do that. I want to do that. I need to do that. And my profession of faith allowed me to wake up from that point in time on. And every morning I wake up now, I say, you know what? I'm in a, I'm in a committed relationship for it. I know what this day is about, and I'm going to choose this day who I'm going to serve. Jesus promised that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter taught that each of you should be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And Paul identified that when we are buried with him through baptism, that's why we say buried with Christ in baptism, raised to him a new life from Paul's teaching that we're actually born again. Baptism along with communion, which we need to work on communion here as a church as well, but baptism along with communion are two sacraments. There's something that God has given us for the church to remind ourselves each and every time that we do that, that we're blessed and encouraged and then the baptism testimony is to bless and encourage you to remind you of your testimony, of what God saved you from. Then that reminder is your testimony so that when you're out there tomorrow in your Great Commission or this afternoon in your Great Commission, you're not responsible for anything else other than sharing and starting with your testimony. As you learn more things, you can share more things. But don't worry about all the things you can explain. Well, I still can't explain the Trinity. Well, I still can't explain Revelation, you know? I've been teaching for a long time, and I'm excited about it, but the reality is a lot of things that are going to happen in Revelation are going to happen regardless of whether I understand them or not. So here's what I'm going to focus on. Death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for me. Is it sufficient for you? Do you know that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for me? And this is what it's done for me. If you don't at least understand that, all the other things we're talking about are frivolous. Let's just start with keeping the main thing the main thing. Let me keep it simple, and let me show you. And when you are baptized, the Spirit of God then comes in, and you have this opportunity to publicly confess. And now, just like that, we look in the Bible, and when Jesus himself was baptized, what happened? God audibly speaks. Cool, huh? I mean, you're God's son. I mean, you're part of the Trinity. How important is baptism? How, how is the Lord? Baptism's been stolen from you. This is, this is how important baptism is. It's not that it's been stolen from you. It's just there's lots of other noise and you haven't heard it. So hear it clearly. Jesus himself was baptized. The guy who baptized him said, absolutely unequivocally not. I'm not even worthy to wash your feet. Not going to do it. Can you imagine telling Jesus, not going to do it. Thank you. Not going to do it. Not only are you going to do it, but I'm going to allow you to be part of the blessing. He baptizes Jesus in the River Jordan, and coming up is the Father himself affirming him, right? Check, check, done. No, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? I mean, don't you want to hear that when you walk through the gates? This is, well done, my good and faithful. I mean, these are, these are inspirational things to me. That's why I taught the class. That's why my favorite class to teach at a church is the new believers class. And if this church ever decides to have a new believers class, I would love to teach it. There's nothing more exciting than coming to faith. There's nothing more exciting. And we've all kind of forgotten how long ago we came to faith. So it's not that motivational factor anymore, but it should be. It could be if you just woke up on missions every morning and said, you know what? I choose this day who I'm going to serve.
Finally, it says, disciple all those who receive Christ. You can only disciple, right, train and train and mature them, to me, after the baptism, because the baptism is initiating their relationship, and it's kind of milk, you know, moving in the different stages of milk to solid food. When you're baptized and you publicly confess, you kind of initiate your testimony. You kind of come into your faith. So then it's a natural progression to kind of train. For some of us, we've kind of come about at the reverse direction. We kind of try to skip baptism, and we try to go straight to, like, education. But without the Spirit of God teaching us, without the Spirit of God kind of indwelling in us and saying, hey, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, maybe you should let that go, it's not going to be as clear. The Lord has challenged me to surrender my life, and I wonder how many messages you hear today where when you leave, you're like, wow, that really challenged me to surrender my life. Right? What does Romans say? Present your body a living sacrifice. When's the last time you heard a message where you walked out to your car, smashed the steering wheel 10 times and said, I am, I'm, I'm so far from that. Like, I'm so far from presenting my life a living sacrifice. It's anything, but it's a convenience. My faith is a convenience. There's nothing in my life that's sacrificial. Teaching my children how to tithe. I've been teaching my children how to tithe for years. Because let me tell you something about tithing. Tithing's not for you. Tithing's for your relationship with God. If you don't know where your stuff comes from, how can you ever be thankful about what you have? Teaching my kids about forgiveness. Can you really forgive someone? Can I, if my brother does something against me. Can I really forgive him? Am I authorized to forgive my brother? No, I can't forgive him. Only, who can forgive? Only God. All I can do is acknowledge him. When I teach them, when I train them, I need the spirit of God in someone's heart so that they can hear what's being said and realize this is for my edification. This is for my equipping so that I can go share this with other people. We had a chance to teach the uh, students junior high last week talking about forgiveness, and they got a chance to understand it. These are key principles that we need to understand, church, but they can only be done in a sequence when we follow God's word. You know what, pastor? You guys are just talking too much about legalism. You guys are talking too much about all the things that we're doing. You're talking too much about all the things that we're doing wrong. My job is not to talk about things that make you happy. I'm sorry. The goal of Sunday is not just a giant... Uh, uh, who was the guy with the curly hair fur that I used to die laughing that people would follow all over the planet Earth? He was like a health guy. Richard Simmons, right? Oh, let's just do happy things and jump around and wear ridiculous clothes because life is, there's nothing happy and joyous about following Christ. Right? It's dirty. Ministry is, is difficult. It's ugly. It's people's life. It's the brokenness of having someone who's mental health or someone whose family's in disarray or marriage is on the rocks or their child is wayward. Right? How can you be all jovial with that? There's, there's times for jovial and there's times where it's just it's difficult. I've already prayed this morning two or three times with people who have been told family members have cancer and all these different things. I get it. I, trust me, I get it more than a lot of people. I get that it's difficult. But the only way we're going to teach one another what it's all about is when we can share those things and you're at church and we share those things, remind those things. Why? So I can send you back into your mission field because they're waiting for you. Like, there's places, Brad, where only you're going to be. I'm not going to be in the places you're going to be. And you have to know that when you're done with church on Sunday, you're being commissioned again to go back to your mission field and be that voice of reason and be that voice of like hope and encouragement that doesn't exist in those people around you, regardless of the results. You're like, Pastor Jeff, I thought it was all about the results. You know, isn't the goal of the church like grow the church? No, the goal of the church is to grow the kingdom of God. The church can grow or swell or do whatever... 
The gates of hell are not going to stand against it, so why would I be worried about that? That's what Jesus said, right? I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know the church is going to survive. What I don't know is how many people are going to come into salvation. Well, that's why I got to keep the main thing the main thing. That's why I got to keep sharing and showing that. If you want to hand them some more watered-down faith, don't be surprised when holiness or anything else about our church is less desirable. If you want to hand someone some spiritual water, find someone who's really thirsty. Unfortunately, this week I had a bad dialysis. People were asking if I was going to share it. I wasn't. I just figured a transition for that. I had a chance to do fasting this week for dialysis on Friday, which traditionally is no big deal. I've done fasting and do my blood work many different times, 40 or 50 times. Unfortunately, I've never done fasting and then done dialysis. And I found out that this week doesn't work. Because I am still in a situation where my kidneys are not holding that much water, and so for me, dialysis is a little bit different. So two hours and 55 minutes of my three-hour dialysis, not only had I made it through, but I had actually texted my wife and sent her a picture of how easy it was and how enjoyable it was. It was just one of those, because usually when I preach, you know it all kind of runs amok. That was a huge mistake. Because at two hours and 56 minutes, my body ran out of fluid. And at two hours and 57 minutes, my body went into anger of the situation, and at 2.59 to about 3.10, 3.15, my body just completely revolted against life. Very few things. I have a really high pain threshold, by the way. Uh, being sick for 15 years has taught me pretty amazing threshold. But when you're truly falling apart, like when you truly have no control of your elements, and your body's going into one of these kind of convulsions where everything is drawing in, I can't explain it to you except for if you ran out of fluid, everything in your body would draw in. So from my calves to my biceps, everything's drawing in. And you're literally folding up. You're just folding up like a taco, you just can't, and you can't stop it. As my body's convulsion, I, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and there's still 25, 30 people in dialysis. I have no choice but to start hollering. I've done it before. This is the third time it's happened. The first time I screamed like a small child because I didn't know what it was. The second time it happened, I knew what it was, and I didn't scream. I was just kind of trying to be, you know, due diligent about it, and I let out a few yelps. This time, I not only knew what it was, but this time, I thought I was going to die. This time, I really thought it was over and be the perfect ending, because I had recorded the message earlier in the week, just in case, and I thought, well, you know what, Lord, they can play the message, and still, we're good, and I, I just went into the, okay, God, and I'm doing it about this little quieter than what I'm like, okay, God, you got my attention. You got my attention, Lord. What do you want? Please, Lord, let it pass. Let it pass. And I mean, five minutes, seven, it's not passing. You're like, okay, God, help. I mean, help. I mean, there are, all my nurses are there. I have five nurses holding ice packs on my body. My machine's just blowing up with alarms because my blood pressure is going through the roof. I get that everyone's trying to help, and I'm saying help. It's kind of redundant. But it's that kind of simplicity that the Lord taught me that, you know what, Jeff? You're still, still not missing. You're missing out on something. I'm still here. I'm still with you. And I'm like, you know what, Lord? I just want to stand up. If I could stand up, I was so bad in the church. I was like, if I... And it was excruciating as I tried to stand, and I leaned forward, and I just remember the sweat just coming off of my body was actually physically coming off my body. I'm like, how can I be sweating? I have no fluids. Like, what is going on? Where is it coming from? Of course, then I get sick. She offers me a bag, and nothing comes out. Thankfully, the nurse that saw me trying to throw up and realized how sick I was is the nurse that's been caring for me since April. And she says, oh, my gosh, Jeff, you have no fluids. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Hello, Yes. So she does what anyone would do in offering someone completely sick and a little sippy cup with, a, you know, we take for aspirins, a little baby children's. Yeah. How about this? Oh, God. I mean, literally like fire, like lava in my body. You could just feel my body going, help, yes, more. I'm like, water. 
Oh, water. Yeah, I'm still hooked up. Water. I have my jacket on. I'm sweating. I'm like, take my jacket off. Water. And then bring water. I'm just like, like a small kid. He's just been playing baseball for two hours. And I'm like, gulp, gulp, gulp. And my body just slowly starts coming back. For about three minutes, I just gulp water until I'm finally able to stand. And all the alarms are going off. You know, everything's calmed down. And my poor nurse, my, his name's Ian. My poor nurse is looking at me. He's like, Pastor Jeff, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Ian, what are you? You didn't do this. Like, this is... But he realized, like, I should have drank water as soon as I did the blood work in the beginning. I was fasting. I should have, they should have offered me water. And I said, Ian, it's not your fault, man. It's okay. Just give me a minute. I still, I'm still kind of bent over at that point. He's like, and then all of a sudden I feel another one of my nurses tapping me. And they're like, Pastor Jeff. I'm like, yes. You guys know I've been delegated an advocate in my thing. After three years of looking, they never found one. But I'm the first official advocate in the dialysis center. A man in the back left corner was having an even worse dialysis. Stage five, no transplant, just di diabolically sick. His little tablet next to him is just filled with medicines. He's fully laid back. He's in excruciating pain. He said he heard you calling out for God, and he wanted to know if you'd come pray for him. And I did what any pastor would do. who's completely crippled over and bent and can't even walk. I hobbled like this to him. <laughs> sure, let me do that. I'll, I'll be back there in about two minutes. He's like two beds away from me. I hobbled over to him, and I grabbed his foot, which is, I told Brad, it's a new weird thing that God's given me, grab foot. And I prayed for him. I have no idea what I said. I was completely delusional. But I wasn't like a minute. It was a long prayer. And then I looked up, he had a smile on his face, and he said, I hope to be in that church one day. I hope to come hear you preach. But I'm really grateful you were here today. So I had to weigh myself. So I left. You have to weigh yourself coming in, coming out. I actually gained two ounces because I was so full of saline. They flushed me twice, which saline for me is not good, which means instant migraine coming, at least a 24-hour migraine because it's so full of sodium. And I'm hobbling out to the car, and it's just starting to overwhelm me, and I just want to sit in my car, and then all of a sudden I'm starving because I haven't eaten, and then the whole thing's just going to... I just start crying. Like, you know, I'm a crying pastor. I get it. And I'm like, i got to call my wife and tell her what's going on. And, of course, her response is any loving wife is anger at me. Anger at everyone who's taking care of me. Anger for them not realizing what they've done to me. And I try to explain to her, Jennifer, it was so cool. She's like, what do you mean so cool? Like, yeah, in the midst of that, in the midst of all that, the Great Commission was fully brought to life for me. Go. Go left. Two tables. Make. Pray for that guy. Show him what God has asked you to do. Baptize him and teach him. I don't know. That's up to the Holy Spirit now, but he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if he loves the Lord or if he doesn't know the Lord, there's something bigger in our lives than being in pain and being in comfort. Fulfill that which I've given you today. Tomorrow, why do you say tomorrow we're going to go plant? Why do you say tomorrow we're going to go here and visit these people? You, you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You've got today. Focus today on what you're going to Choose this day who you will serve. Church, I told you this is the greatest message in the world. And I want you to know something as I call the worship team up here. It's not over. This is only half of the bookends. And today when we close the service, I'm going to close with an amazing praise, an amazing update for you guys. And the second part of this passage that I want you guys to give. So I gave you the front half. I gave you the great commission. And when I come back and close the service after the end of this worship set, I want you guys to realize something. Along with the great commission, he also gave us the great commandment. And I want you to think about this morning as we get a chance to pray and kind of ask God to kind of bless us. If you need to pray, like if you've kind of gone down the road and you really haven't processed this whole thing, don't let another day pass. Let today be the day that you choose who you will serve. 
Give your life to the Lord. There's no greater thing in the world than to give your life to the Lord. If you haven't been baptized and you've been running from that, come talk to me. I'll walk you through it. I'll teach you what it means. Let's share your testimony with people because you've got to initiate the process of being able to share your testimony in order to show your testimony. Don't be afraid. Look at your neighbors differently. They're not against you. They're not your punishment. They're your reward. They're your blessing. Show them the hope that's in Christ. That's who he came for, right? He didn't come for the healthy. He walks right by them. I'm here for the sick, for the degenerate, the ones that nobody wants. The guy with 35 demons in him, that's my guy. Why? Because when he left him on the shore and he came back weeks later, the degenerate, the 35 guy with demons, had led thousands, thousands, not hundreds or a few, thousands of people to the Lord. Don't ask what the Lord wants, just give him what he wants. He wants your time, he wants your energy. Join me in some worship this morning.
how amazing and how marvelous is our worship team. Thank you guys for blessing us today. I want to share with you guys one final praise for today because you need it. You need it more than I need it. So Pastor Eric sent this to us. You know the small uh, junior high boy that we've been praying for, Cooper. He was to- we were told that he was going to be paralyzed. It was just horrific. The early reports were ho- just horrible. A video was sent to us this week in church. We feel like we owe you this. So sit down, buckle in, because this is our little boy, Cooper, leaving the hospital. Mark, can you play it? If you think prayer still doesn't work, I mean, everything about that little kid, should, he didn't put his helmet on last second, he would have been killed, he could have been crippled, walking out. Yeah, there's still some stuff going on with his body, but guys, I mean, if you're his family today and you don't know how good the Lord is, that's how good the Lord is. The Lord's still healing, the Lord's still doing miraculous stuff. I want to finish with this great commandment, church, because I want you to know something. I told you today why it's so important, what we need to do. Let me tell you one final thing. God didn't bookend it for no reason. He bookended it like this. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself for all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Did you notice the key word in there again? All. The same authority that we've been sent with at the front end of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it what it requires of us to get it done. It requires all your heart, church. It requires all your soul. It requires all your mind. If you guys would just keep it simple and just keep the main thing the main thing, nothing could stop this church from growing. Nothing can stop us from being followers who get rid of that watered-down faith that people have been offered for so long. Let's offer them something that's tangible. Let's offer them something that will truly last the test of time. Let's offer them the death, burial, and resurrection of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and see what great and amazing things he can do in their life. If you need to stay afterwards for prayer, some of the elders are here. They are more than willing to come up and pray with you. If you have any prayer requests, you can turn them in in the white boxes in the back. If you want to support the church financially or online, you can do that in the back. If you have anything going on that's left undone, please stay afterwards this morning and talk with us about it. We'd love to pray with you. Church, we love you. We hope you're here next week for Don and Jill Shannon in Costa Rica in the last part of the missions month. If not, keep Eric and his family in prayers. Thank you guys for being here today. Now go out and be your commission. Go make baptize and teach in the name of Christ. God bless you, church.